welcome to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. Our mission is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus. One of the ways we do that is through the preaching of God's Word, centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's this week's message. Good morning. How y'all doing this morning? Um, so first off, I'd just like to say welcome, um, everybody. Welcome to Connection Church Dublin. Um, if it's your first time here, man, I'd just like to say we're so glad you came this morning. <clears throat> My name's Randy, and God has really given me an, an opportunity to serve here as the discipleship pastor for Connection Church Dublin. So this morning, we're going to continue. I'm really excited. We're going to continue in our study of the Book of Romans that we just started last week. And this morning, if you'll get your Bibles out, and I hope you have your Bibles with you, and, and turn to Romans chapter 1, we're going to be looking at verses 18 to 32. Um, I'll be honest with you, I'll probably only make it through about verse 24 or 25. Um, but that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. And while you're turning there, I just want to give you a little insight into the next few weeks, man. Um, as, as Buck is, he's, this morning he's not here because he's on the way to Connection Church Athens to, to preach there. Um, so you got me. And uh, I know that's already, <laughs> thank you. Um, so I know that's already exciting enough, but what else you have is a really, really difficult message, um, which is why I think uh, Buck chose to go preach in Athens today. But, uh, but anyways, let's dive in. Just to give you a little insight, man, from now for the next few weeks, I think what Paul's trying to do, this was an easy way for me to think of it. I said, so think if you, this week, we just got out of vacation season, so just think you go... You go out of town, your family goes on vacation, you're, you're out of state, you're gone, and you get a call from your neighbor and he says, hey man, I just want to let you know your, your house is still standing up. It's okay, everything looks fine. And the first thought in your mind's like, okay, thanks for the news, have a good one, and you hang up, right? And then the first thing you do is you look at your wife and you say, man, he's aggravating me even on vacation now. But now think about this, if your neighbor calls you and you pick up the phone, you're on vacation, and he says, man, I just want to tell you, we had the worst tornado that we've ever had come through our area, and it took out every single house in our neighborhood, but it danced right around yours and left it standing, and everything looks okay. Now, in a second, with just a little bit of context, that news goes from aggravating to news of amazing grace, right, of thankfulness, with just a little bit of context of what's going on. So that's what Paul's doing, man. Buckle in from, from right now, starting in verse 18, all the way through chapter 3, almost about verse 20. Paul wants to make sure that we really understand our true condition. He's going to lay the foundation for the gospel so that when we get the good news, man, you understand just how good the good news is. So think about Buck said last week, the Rome, he's going to Rome, huge empire, a lot of influence, a lot of things going on. And it's, it's interesting, man. He, he wants to lay this foundation and make sure that they know before we get to anything who we are. He wants to make sure they know who they are, that none's righteous, not even one, before the holiness of God. So Paul's convinced, man, and I know that I am, and, and we'll get to, to more a little bit later, but hear this if you hear nothing else throughout this whole thing there's not going to be a bunch of points there's going to be an idea and then we're going to walk through these verses but you cannot be saved until you first know you're lost you can't be saved until you know you're lost 
for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about you can't be saved, you can't be rescued, you cannot be redeemed until you first understand you're lost, you're imprisoned, and you are a sinner. Hear that again. You cannot be saved, rescued, and redeemed until you first understand you're lost, imprisoned, and a sinner. So Paul's really going to be talking about for the next few weeks, he's going to be explaining and walking through the need for the gospel for all. Not just for um, the irreligious, not just for the Jews, not just for the Gentiles, but for all. Religious and irreligious alike. So man, let's read it and we'll jump in. Starting in verse 18. It says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator. Hear that again. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is praised forever. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed shameful acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their error. Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over to a depraved mind, so that they do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, no mercy. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Pray with me. Father, I just thank you for this morning. God, thank you for this time. God, to come before you, God, to come before your people and share your word. Father, and I just pray, God, as we have a, a hard message, God, but a, a message of your truth, Father, that you would just speak through it. God, that in all I do and say, Father, it would just be um, glory and honor to you, Father, and most of all that people would hear what you'd have them hear. God, we know that only you can save, only you can rescue, and only you can redeem. Father, and I just thank you and praise you for who you are this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So let's jump right into verse 18. It says, The wrath of God's being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So the first thing he does, he immediately jumps in and he confronts the consequence of sin. He confronts that there is a consequence to sin. He uses the words godlessness and wickedness of people. And if you look at godless, man, you're literally thinking ungodly, right? There's a big gap. Not that we're almost like God, man. There's an there's a infinitely wide gap between us and God. And we can't do things to become a little better and bridge that gap and get to God and get to heaven in eternity. You see, sin, man, it's not just things you do. 
It's not just things that you do. If it's things you do, then it's things that you can change. And if we're honest, you look through your life and you look at things you've tried to change, does it ever really last? Sin is who you are. It's who we are. From the moment of the fall in the garden, man, we're separated from God. And if we're honest, as we go throughout life, I know in my life, the when I have time and spans of time where if I go without spending time in the Word of God, if I go without spending time in prayer and in time around godly community, then what happens? My body is set on autopilot to sin and self. It just is. Think about your life and be honest. So it's a problem that we cannot fix on their own. You can't just stop doing some things and get to God. We're a godless and wicked people before a holy God. Hear it again. That's hard truth. We're a godless, wicked people before a holy God. All of us. They're none righteous, not even one. People who do what? The second verse of 18, it says, the second half of verse 18 says, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So think about that word suppression. It doesn't mean that there's no truth there. It means that there's truth there, but we do what? We refuse to acknowledge it. We keep ourselves from acknowledging it. I think about it like this when it comes to suppressing truth. Have you ever had where you uh, spend time in just swimming and playing in a pool, your kids are hitting volleyball, the, the beach balls, and they hit them back and forth in the pool, and they really get on my nerves after a little bit, and so I take it from them. And you put it down in the water, and you sit on it, and you hold it down, right? We're doing the same thing with the truth of God. That ball is there the whole time under the water. It never went away. It's there. It's pushing back up on us the whole time, but what are we doing? We're refusing to let it up. We're refusing to acknowledge it, and we're holding it down. The gospel and the goodness of God are the same way. Go into verse 19. Since what may be known about God is plain to them. Why? Because God has made it plain to them. Simply put, here it is. We know, but we don't know. Why? Because we don't want to know. We know, but we don't know because we don't want to know. The truth is way too uncomfortable, right? We all want to be good people we all think of ourselves as good people right i've heard that so much man he's a good guy he's a really good guy we all want to think of ourselves as good people man but the foundation of the gospel is understanding the exact opposite apart from the saving work of jesus christ on the cross none of us are good people Our best are like filthy rags before a holy God. Let's keep going. Verse 20, it says, since for, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. So God has revealed himself in two ways. One, he's revealed himself to us in creation and all the things. And then two, he's revealed himself in us. He's revealed himself to us and in us. So just think about creation. I, I think about it like this. I, I'm not the smartest person out there, but some things just make sense, right? Everything cannot come from nothing. 
just the existence of earth, of all the stuff, all the people, all the animals, all the places, all the things, it testifies to the existence of a creator that literally spoke it into existence with a purpose. There's no way you can look out across creation and just think, man, this was an awesome accident. No way. No way. Everything testifies to God's power in nature. Think about this. Our atmosphere, and uh, y'all know I didn't find this out myself. I, I found this. But um, our atmosphere is made up of 78% nitrogen, 21% oxygen, 0.5% argon, and 0.03% carbon dioxide. If the level of oxygen in our atmosphere dropped by 6%, a small percentage, a small change, just a little different than what it was created as, we would all suffocate and life would be no more. If it rose by 4%, everything would just be inflamed and there'd be nothing but death. And we can go on and on and on with examples, man, but I'm telling you, at the end of the day, Everything testifies to the existence of a creator. And if we think about it, if you look across your life, if you really look inside, you know there's something in you that says the same thing. One of the simplest things I could think of um, when not necessarily it really first struck with me, but one of the times it really does is every year, so we go on vacation every summer with our family and we go to the beach and my boys, Waylon and Owen are eight and six and they love to fish. And so we fish a lot on vacation. And uh, usually probably about three or four times throughout the week, we get up and we go out early and we fish, right? So we get up, we go out, we get out on the water early right as the sun's coming up. And you get out on the ocean and you're, you're looking out at the water and everything's kind of still at the moment depending on the weather and the, the clouds and the sky and the birds, man, and a dolphin swims by and the sun's just rose. And I look out across that and I know inside of me that that is a picture of a holy God who created us with a purpose and brought everything into existence. There's no way that all of that happened by accident. No way. Just as God's power and nature is shown to us in creation, remember the second thing I said is it's revealed in us. So whether you want to admit it or not, you all know we're made this way. We're all searching for something. I'm telling you, throughout your life, you have been and will be searching for something. We're naturally searching for something. The problem comes in is when will we find out that we're searching for something that life, is, that life can't give us, that the world cannot give you? Listen, I know I was, man. Before I come to faith in Christ, I look back and like once I come to faith, I just look back and I say, man, man, how I missed it. I didn't even see it. I was searching for I was searching for joy. I was searching for fulfillment and in so many different things. Man, all the stuff, all the people, all the busyness, right? Just searching for joy and none of it, none of it satisfied me. Even if it did for a moment, it didn't last. I promise you, think about your thing. I know by experience, listen, the, the alcohol, drugs, sex, vacation, money, trucks, boats, motorcycles, hunting, fishing, all the things that the world can give you. I'm telling you, I've went there, I've done it, and it never fully and finally satisfied me, and it won't do you either. It won't.
It might be fun for a moment, but I'm telling you, it won't sustain you. You're searching for joy and fulfillment in things that will never fully and finally satisfy you. It just won't. You know you have. And some of us know we're in the place that we still are. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says this, He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Every one of us has a God-sized hole inside of us. We try really, really hard to fill it with all the things. Be honest with yourself. You know none of it fits. None of it fits. Because God's invisible qualities have been revealed both to us, right? And they've been revealed in us. Then what Paul's getting to right here, you see in the end of the verse, that we are all without excuse. So now let's sum up where we started and where we are. We started with the fact that Paul wants us to know we are all a sinful, wretched, unholy people before a holy God, and we all are deserving of wrath and are looking to wrath apart from Jesus Christ. And now we know that because God revealed himself to us in creation and in us, there's no excuse. We're without excuse. Let's keep going. Verse 21 to 25. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Also, they claimed to be wise. They became fools and exchanged the glory. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. So as people, rather than embracing the truth and bringing glory to God, what do we do? They continue to suppress the truth. And what do we do? Continue to suppress the truth apart from Jesus. Why? Why was it then? Why is it now? It's the, it's the, the big problem of me, right, is what I would call it. You're, uh, and I'm just going, I'm speaking to all of us, but it, I said it was a hard passage in the beginning, and it is, man. Listen, you're selfish, and you want to be your own God. You can admit it. You can be honest. I'm honest about it. I was the same way, right? And if I spend time apart from Jesus Christ, I become the same way again. It's a me problem. We all want to be our own God. It began with Adam and Eve in the garden, man. Look, just as it says in verse 25, it's an old, same problem. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Let's go back and look at the beginning. Man, Genesis 2.15, it says, The Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. If you jump to Genesis chapter 3, so that was God's command, right? Like what God said, that was the truth of God. And let's look at what it was exchanged for. Genesis 3, 4 to 6. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and also gave some to her husband who was there with her. The same problem then and now it's changed the truth of God for a lie. The age-old story of us wanting to be our own God. 
We constantly want to put ourselves in the place of God, who's perfect, who's holy, who created you with a purpose, on purpose, and for a purpose. So what I want to get to now is, listen, every one of us here, we all have something in common. Regardless of all of it, we all have something in common. Listen, every one of us worship. Everybody in this room worships. You worship something. But just as we read in Genesis chapter 3, we've turned from God, and then what do we do? We replace Him with a thousand substitutes, man. A thousand substitutes. We try to put in the place of God, and then we wonder why it falls apart, and it doesn't sustain, and it doesn't last. We're all hardwired to worship. We're hardwired from creation by our Creator to worship, to worship Him. The human heart, I, I'm, I'm set on the fact that it's made to reach out beyond itself. I just know it from my life, man, from, from the time I was born and can remember things all the way up till the time that I gave my life to Christ. My, my heart, my self was searching for something. It's made to seek fulfillment, right? To seek that one thing that's missing inside of all of us. As I was preparing for this, I came across a, a Christian writer and author, um, wrote a lot of good good books back way back in the 30s. He said this. He said, when people reject God, they do not worship nothing. They worship anything. We easily and readily erect idols in our hearts. So when we, when we reject God, we don't worship nothing. We worship anything. Anything that we can erect in our heart and put in place. This is what else he said. He said, we'll serve the God of image or the God of possessions or the God of sexual lust or the God of the stomach or the gods of pleasure and entertainment. In fact, almost anything. Listen to that again, the God of image. Think about your life, man. I think about my life. Listen, when, when I do this and when I go through this Bible, it preaches to me way before it ever gets here, I promise you. I'm not just preaching to you, I'm preaching with you. Listen, the God of image, the God of possessions, the God of sexual lust, the God of the stomach, the gods of pleasure and entertainment. So let's keep going. In verse 23, it says they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being and birds and animals and reptiles. What scares me more than anything today is um, you don't just walk around as much, especially where we're from, and you just see people carving out wooden idols and stone idols and putting them up on altars and going to them and worshiping them. Man, what... The enemy is, is crafty, and in our world, he said, man, I see that that's not going to work. So what does he do? Idols in our lives today, I'm telling you, be, beware. They, they slip past. They slip past for me, and I know they will for you. They look a whole lot more today like legitimate passions, legitimate pursuits, right? Good things that we go after, good things that we do and are involved in. The enemy's not so blatant as much today, especially here, uh, to just have people carving out wooden idols, right? Like, Man, that's that weird guy that carves idols. <laughs> if, 
the enemy knows if he can just keep us so busy with all the things, then guess what becomes idols in our lives? All the things that we're busy with. Any of it. Man, <laughs> here's, a, here's a big one for me. My kids are at that age. Sports. If I'm not careful, if I'm not on guard, if I'm not battling sin and self, it can become, it becomes an idol quickly. Listen, I, I'm not against the stuff. I'm not against doing all the things. Everybody here has busy lives, man. We do. We, we play sports. We play all the stuff. We stay busy. All I'm saying is we have to remember the only reason that we can do it, the reason that we can go play it, the reason that we can go coach it is because God has first created us, created everything, given us breath in our lungs and feet and a mind to go do it. Listen, believe it or not, I know it's, it's going to be really hard. Just hang with me. I'm not perfect. Right? I'm not, I'm not a perfect man. Far from it. I make mistakes. Every, every day of my life, I have to battle sin and self through the Word of God, through time and prayer, through spending time in the community of God with believers. I battle it. Man, just studying through this passage this week, I told you, man, the, the Bible should preach to us before it preaches to anybody else, and it did to me over the past month. We've been having baseball practices and doing all the stuff and practicing two days a week and and all this stuff, and I got out at practice the other day, and I, I got to thinking about this a lot, and it really hit home with me of every time our kids come on the field, when they walk out there, they hit the grass, and I we constantly stress to them, when you walk on this field, you work hard, right? For an hour and a half, I want hard work out of you. And if you work hard, if you give me everything you got for this hour and a half, practice has been good, right? We've accomplished what we're here for. You'll get better, right? And it just really hit me like a ton of bricks as I was studying this passage. And this past week, I, we had practice and we got done with practice and usually we uh, have the boys do some more running. You know, we'll have them run a little bit after practice. And after it was done, I just told them, I said, everybody come sit down right here back behind home plate, behind home plate on the grass. And so they all sat down and I sat down with them. And I just said, I just said, guys, we really talk so much to you all the time about working hard, hard work, right? Give me everything you got. I said, but raise your hand. I said, but I want to hear from all of you. What? Why do we tell you to work hard? Why are you out here right now working hard at practicing baseball? Right? And I got some answers. I mean, look, they're they're nine years old, so just uh but a couple of them, man, were to make my parents proud, you know, to make my parents proud, to make my coaches proud, uh, to win, to get better at baseball. All the answers you would think you would hear. And none of those answers are bad, right? There's nothing wrong with wanting to make your parents proud. There's nothing wrong with wanting to make your coaches proud. There's nothing wrong with wanting to get better at baseball. I want them all to get better at baseball. There's nothing wrong with wanting to win. Let's just be honest, man. Nobody in here wants to lose. Right? We all want to win. But it really even hit home even harder that, man, I've missed it. Out of all of this, all the, all the stuff we've been doing, all the good things, I missed it. 
because hard work and getting better slid right up my list. And I told him, I said, and I want y'all to do it, man. Think about your thing. Think about your thing that slides right up to the top of your list that can very easily become an idol for you. Something you do, somewhere, something you, you do. That's not necessarily bad. So do this with me. I told them, I said, everybody take a deep breath. They all breathed in, you know, a couple of them giggled, you know, a little funny stuff. They're nine. So they took a deep breath. And I said, now, and listen, this is so simple, man. This is so, so simple, but it's the point of everything. I said, take a deep breath. They took a deep breath. And I said, now tell me, who allowed you to breathe? Who allowed you to breathe? I got some answers of God, right? But I didn't get all the answers from every kid, and I realized I missed it. I've completely missed it. How easily did, did working hard on the ball field uh, and, and just all the stuff over the past month become an idol? How easy? Because no matter what we do, man, this relates to everything in life. This is just something specific for me, but for everything that we do, no matter what we do, it's worth absolutely nothing if, it's a, if it doesn't first and foremost bring glory and honor to God, right? I have done no good deed by those kids if they go play in Major League Baseball one day, all nine or ten of them, but none of them know the grace and the mercy of God through the saving work of Jesus Christ. If none of them know it, if none of them have ever heard it, what good have I done them? I'm just saying, man, don't let the busyness and the complications of life keep you from remembering the God that gave us that life in the first place. It seems so simple, but I'm telling you, just think. Think about the last few weeks. How quickly do we forget the God that gave us the breath and the life in the first place as soon as we go to start into something? That thing that we say, oh, yeah, everybody knows that, but how quickly do we forget it? We've been talking a lot um, to Gentiles, to the, to the irreligious, to, the, to those who don't know. But Christian, I just want to take a minute, man. Me and Buck were talking the other day, and we were talking about growing in our relationship with Christ. And the, the thing that came up so quickly that me and him have both seen in our walk with Christ is just how quick we want to become independent. It's that same age-old battle of we start walking and everything's good and then it's not too long before we want to become independent, right? Growing in maturity in Christ does not look like becoming more independent. It looks like growing more and more in my dependence on Jesus every day, on the gospel. It looks like I understand more and more day by day, listen, I'm just going to tell you, you don't got it. You don't. You can't do it on your own. We can't. The three most dangerous words a Christian can say is, I got this. As soon as we start believing and thinking and seeing, I got this, we're moving away from the gospel. We're moving away from the gospel. Christian, don't forget, the gospel saves us, but it's not just the starting point. The gospel is also what will fully sustain you in your walk with Christ. Never grow away from it.
I love, uh, J.D. Greer said this, and I, I've been ripping it off for forever. I love it. But he said, the gospel isn't just the diving board that we use to jump into the pool of Christianity, right? The gospel is the pool. The gospel is the pool itself. We never grow away from it. We never grow past it. I grow deeper and deeper in my understanding of who God is, who I am, and the saving work that Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And that allows me to grow more and more into the image of Jesus. Nothing else. None of your independence. The more I understand that simple foundational truth of the gospel the more you will grow into the image of christ the more he will begin to slowly change you from the inside out i promise never grow past the gospel getting back to what we were talking about so take an honest evaluation what do you worship what do you worship man because you've already seen we all worship something What's become an idol? Begin to kill it. Begin to take that idol and use it for good, man. Listen, we need good Christian influences in every sport, on every field, in every place, from here to as far out as we can reach. I'm not saying stop doing the things. We need you in the things. The problem is, is we don't need the things getting a hold of you, and then you're just another person that's worshiping the things. There's going to be plenty of people there that are worshiping the thing you're doing. They need somebody there that's bringing every, bird, every person on that field back to the one thing that's worthy of worship. Be that person. All the things we do are worth nothing if they don't first bring glory and honor to God. Nothing. So let's keep going. What does God do to those who continue to worship the created things rather than the creator? You can see in verse 24, 26, and 27, what did he do? He gave them over. God gave them over. He gives them over to their own sinful desires. And what happens? The wrath of God remains on them. We see it in the book of James. And one day, one day, that wrath will be fully poured out. Right now, it's partially revealed. Right, right now, we see it. In the world, in, in death and disease and, and, and the bad things, right? We see the wrath of God partially revealed. But one day it will be fully poured out. And we will give an account. Don't continue to suppress the truth with unrighteousness. So there it is, man. The hard message, the bad news that makes the good news so good. It makes the good news so good. God's holy, he's just, he's righteous, he must punish sin, and sin and wickedness will not go unpunished. Again, man, Paul wants to make sure, when, right here, verse 18 to 32, all the way through chapter 3, round verse 20, <laughs> it's not a whole lot of good news, but guess what's coming? The good news is coming. The good news is coming, and Paul wants to make sure that when you hear the good news, when you're going to hear it in a few weeks, you understand just how good the good news is. We're laying the foundation for the next rest of this, this sermon, man, for the rest of this sermon series in the gospel. It's not just news. It's not just okay news. The gospel is good news of God's amazing grace that none of us deserve. 
Hear me again if you've heard nothing else today. You cannot be saved, rescued, and redeemed until you first understand you're lost, you're imprisoned, and you are a sinner. That's the truth of God. That's what, man, that's what makes so awesome right here in a few minutes. We're going to be celebrating baptisms. These people are declaring, man, that they are now saved, rescued, and redeemed. They've come face to face with their sin. They've laid it all down at the foot of the cross, right? Put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Listen, that's my story, man. Before, when I first came here, and this has been, it's been years ago now when the church first started, and uh, somebody, I won't call him out by name, but uh, aggravated the life out of me to come to church for months. And finally, I told my wife, I said, Shay, we have got to go. Like, this dude... He is not going to shut up if I don't go. And so we come. I park in this. We park in this back parking lot back here right when it first come over here. And we sit there for probably 10 minutes or more. And we finally made the decision. You know what? Let's just go home. I was driving. Went to put the car. <laughs> went to put the car and drive. And uh, I will call him out. Adam Hightower walks out he walks out right here out into the parking lot and he looks and we're parked there and he sees me and makes eye contact and he kind of does this number and i'm like no he's seen me like he, he's seen me i can't leave now car's got to go back and park car goes back and park we come inside and man for for four weeks or so in a row Buck didn't know it, didn't know me. I didn't know him from a man on the moon. He was preaching the hard truth of God's word. And he was preaching right into my sin. He was preaching directly into my sin and selfishness. I got to the point after about the second week, I asked somebody that knew him. I said, hey, man, have you been talking to this guy about me? <laughs> preaching straight into my sin. And listen, when I, when I laid it all down, it wasn't just from some good message. It was from the truth of the gospel. And I came face to face with the good person that everybody said I was, wasn't good. I came face to face with my sin, my brokenness. And then I understood when he got to the gospel at the end of the message, about four or five weeks in, God, I am so unworthy. And when I heard that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life and then he went to the cross and died a gruesome death so that he could pay the price for me, right? That somehow what he did on that cross counted for me. If I would just put my faith in him, if I would just lay it all down, if I would come to terms with the fact that I'm broken, I'm a sinner, and I need God. I can't do it on my own. I'm not good enough. And when I laid all that down, man, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ, you have no idea the freedom that come from that. The freedom that come from just getting on my knees before God and saying, God, it's all you. I'm unworthy. And now I'm allowed to walk in the strength of God and the Holy Spirit of God. And he carries me. 
It's not about me. It's not on me. Listen, man, I'm not a public speaker. I don't speak in front of people. But God carries me for the gospel because it's worth it. If it wasn't worth it, I'm telling you, I wouldn't have dragged myself up here. It's worth it. So as the, as the worship team comes back up, I just want you guys to, to pray with me. Father, we just thank you for today. God, thank you for who you are. God, thank you for what you do. Father, thank you that you sent your son to die for us. God, and I pray right now, if there's anyone in this room, God, if, if they don't know you, if they don't know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, if they've never laid it all down at the foot of the cross, God, I pray that now would be the time. Today would be the day. God, that they would give it all to you and receive the freedom that comes with knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. If that's you in here today, with every every head bowed and all the eyes closed, I just ask if you just raise your hand. Amen. For the rest of us, God, I just pray that as we go throughout this place, Father, that you would just continue to reveal to us, God, what's become idols in our life. Father, what have we not given to you? God, and I pray that you would just continue to convict us, continue to change us, God, continue um, to reveal to us, God, what we need to turn back over to you. God, what we need to take from the world and we need to turn back over to you, God. We need to give it to you and we need to become who you've called us to be in it. Father, I just thank you and praise you for who you are and what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'm going to encourage y'all, man, and during this time of this last song, if... Um, if, if you've had one of those times in your life like I have and, and things have, have begun to slowly come up, man, just come and pray. Lay it down at the feet of Jesus and allow him to redeem it. Allow him to guide you into his truth. Thank y'all. Thanks for tuning in to the Connection Church Dublin Sermon Podcast. We pray that this message stirred your affections for Jesus. We would love for you to subscribe to the podcast and share it with others. For more information about our church and other resources, please visit ConnectionDublin.com.